0: coming back tonight to this really remarkable passage in God's Word. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the whole world. He is a man who has persecuted God's people, he has desecrated God's temple, and he has lived a ghastly immoral life. And yet in this chapter he does a full 180 degree turn. He becomes a follower of the true living God. God. It is the most remarkable transformation that you have ever seen. In fact if you were to read today about some world leader and they did the same thing, they they bowed down before God, they pledged their allegiance to him, you would probably say that it's fake news. And yet this is something that really happened. Now for those of you joining with us tonight and and you haven't been watching the previous sermons in this series, I should say you are sort of landing in the middle of the passage, but that's okay. This is actually our third week of looking at Daniel chapter 4. Two weeks ago our sermon title was The King Who Wouldn't Listen and we thought about how God had called this man to repentance But Nebuchadnezzar kept on wriggling off the hook. And then last week and this week as well we're thinking about the God who wouldn't stop. God would not allow any amount of stubbornness to stand in his way. He is going to accomplish his gracious purpose in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And as I said last week there are five different aspects of God's work of transformation. I'd like us to consider. We thought about two of them last week. We're thinking about the next three this evening. So first of all, God's warning. Nebuchadnezzar was given every opportunity imaginable to turn to God. He rejected them. God showed this man an astonishing amount of patience. And one of the tragedies is that Nebuchadnezzar treated that patience with complete and utter Contempt. Then, also last week we thought about God's acts. God gives Nebuchadnezzar this dream. There is a huge big tree, the tree gets chopped down, and that's a picture of what God is going to do to Nebuchadnezzar if he doesn't repent. He is given the mind of an animal. He is driven away from the city, he lives in the fields, he eats grass. It's a severe work of God. And yet, as we thought last week, at the heart of this is God's kindness. He's like a surgeon with a scalpel. He is slicing away the things that are rotten and toxic inside this man. He's saving Nebuchadnezzar. I think one of the implications for us is that it's possible that whatever trials we are going through, maybe even whatever difficulties we are facing right now as a result of this pandemic, it is possible that that is God wielding his axe. It's possible that that is God calling us to repentance. It's possible that God is using these circumstances to teach us something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it's really, really important that we don't simply count down the days and we don't simply hunker down and wait for this to be over. It's really, really important that we ask the question what is God teaching me in the midst of this pandemic? So we saw those two things last week. Uh, This week we want to jump straight back in again, and there are three more aspects of God's work I would like us to see. First of all, God's chains. Now I suspect that you may have quite a number of questions about this passage and I think one of the questions you may well have is what is the significance of seven times? We see it in verse 16, verse 23 and verse 25. Maybe you're wondering what does that mean? Is it seven weeks? Is it seven months? Is it seven years? Well, there's a simple answer. The answer is we don't know. We don't know how long Nebuchadnezzar had the mind of an animal but I don't really think it actually matters all that much. And the reason why I say that is that in the Bible the number seven is very significant especially when you get to a chapter like this. Seven is one of the numbers of completeness. So, for example, in the book of Revelation, there are seven bowls and there are seven seals. And I think that suggests to us that the use of seven times in this passage is probably symbolic. You know, whenever I was a a little boy, I would often ask my mum what time's dinner going to be? And, And I used to be absolutely infuriated. I know she's watching by the way, but I used to be infuriated because almost every time I asked that question the answer would be exactly the same. I wouldn't get a time, but what I'd be told is when it's ready. And in one sense that is what God is doing here. He's not terribly interested in providing us with some arbitrary unit of time. Doesn't really matter if it's seven weeks or seven months or seven years. God is like a chef. He is working on his masterpiece, and he will not take it out of the oven until it's ready. And of course that is really what verse 25 is telling us, isn't it? Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and gives them to anyone he wishes. In other words, as long as it takes. And I think we can find great encouragement in that. wonder how many of you watching have decided over the last few weeks that since you're stuck at home it would be a good opportunity to start into some project. Maybe you're repairing the garden fence, maybe you're sorting out the junk in the spare room, and maybe already after only a couple of weeks you're on the verge of giving up. I mean, it's amazing sometimes, isn't it? It's amazing how little commitment we have to the jobs that we start. And yet, here is the God who doesn't give up. Here is the God who doesn't finish his work until it's ready. When God takes his axe, when he brings trial or difficulty into your life, he sticks at it for as long as it takes. You can be absolutely confident God's renovation work in your soul. It's not going to be like that half fixed, half painted garden fence. It's not going to be like that half organized spare room. You can be confident God will not stop working until the job is done. Your suffering, if it's in God's hands, will not be wasted. And I think that this truth is reinforced for us in something else you may have wondered about in the passage. It is this iron and bronze that binds the tree. Now maybe this was a bronze band. We don't really know what it looked like. I imagine it being like iron and bronze chains. And we see it for example in verse 14, cut down the tree. But then verse 15, let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. And maybe whenever we read that you were wondering what's this all about? Well, I think it reinforces what God has already said. I don't know how many of you have been going out for walks over the last number of weeks. Maybe some of you walk the same route every day. And when you do, you walk past different businesses And those businesses used to be absolutely buzzing with customers, but now they're completely shut down. And maybe something you've noticed as you've walked past the gates of those businesses is a chain and a padlock. And and whenever you think about it, that chain does two things. First of all, it sends a message. It tells you that this business is definitely closed at least for now, it's not going to go back to what it was, not until it's all over. But it also tells you something else, doesn't it? It tells you that the building is safe. It's been secured. No one is going to come in and trash the place. No one's going to come in and rob the place. And I think we can consider the chains in this chapter in much the same way. They demonstrate first of all that it's not business as usual. Nebuchadnezzar will not be breaking out of these chains until his heart has been changed by God. But they also make sure that Nebuchadnezzar himself is protected. I mean you think of of all of the, the rivals who maybe saw their opportunity to seize the crown once and for all and you could easily imagine one of those rivals finding Nebuchadnezzar And killing him to get him permanently out of the way. But God has said the roots of this tree and the stump are to be kept safe. And this chain demonstrates not one single hair of Nebuchadnezzar's head is going to be harmed if God has said that hair is to be left intact. It's God's chains they're merciful. And I wonder, as you look back on some of the things that you have been through, as you think of God wielding his axe within your life, can you also see God's chains? Maybe you look back and the doctors were absolutely convinced that the illness you had was going to take your life. Maybe you were completely convinced that the depression you had was going to be the end of you. And yet, something, and you can't quite explain it, but something restrained that illness, or something restrained that depression, and it is as if God has said, you can go this far, but no further. Could it be God's chance? God does not give disaster free reign. God brings it into our life, but he brings it about in order to bring about his gracious plan, and he will not allow that disaster to go any further than is necessary. I could maybe speak about COVID-19 once again. Could it be that as well as seeing God's acts, you also see God's chains. You know, for us, at least here in Ireland, things are not as calamitous as they could be. There's still food on the shelves. We still have Netflix, we still have electricity. God has not given this crisis free rein. He has allowed it just enough to accomplish his wonderful and gracious plan. But no further. And perhaps each and every day, we should be thanking God for the mercy that he's shown us in the midst of this pandemic. He's using his chains. And of course, seeing God's chains helps us as we ask the same sort of questions that everybody else is asking every single day. How long? How long is this crisis going to go on for? How long are we going to be locked down within our homes? Well, well, yes, of course, on one level, the answer to that is however long it takes to make a vaccine. But there's a far more fundamental answer to that, isn't there? How long? As long as it takes. As long as it takes for God to work out his wonderful purposes. In this crisis. And until that point, God's chains will remain. So the third thing we see is God's chains. The fourth thing we see, God's blessing. Now we want to move on towards the end of the passage. Once these seven times have taken place, notice what happens. Verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then verse 36, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. I mean, when you think about it, that is absolutely shocking, isn't it? Can you imagine a Taoiseach or a prime minister, and they get admitted to hospital because of some mental issue? Can you imagine what would happen next? You imagine their spin doctors. The spin doctors would be trying everything they possibly can. They'd be using every trick in the book to keep this out of the papers. Their advisers would be absolutely petrified that if word gets out, they will never win another election again. And yet, here is Nebuchadnezzar. He has literally been eating grass like a cow he has been making a complete spectacle of himself. And not only does he make a comeback as the most powerful man in the world, but notice his nobles, his officials, take the initiative. It is they who seek him out. You think surely that would be absolutely impossible if it wasn't for God's hand. Surely if God was not in complete and utter control this would never ever have happened. And yet what does Nebuchadnezzar learn about God? Well verse 35. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him what have you done? Or to put it another way verse 25. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and gives them to anyone he wishes. God can take the throne away from Nebuchadnezzar with the snap of a finger. But he can just as easily give the throne back. And it gets even better because notice verse 36. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. You think of how mind-blowing Nebuchadnezzar's empire was before any of this happened. But verse 36 and verse 37 tell us he became even greater than before. First, God brings Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. And then he showers him with unimaginable blessing. And I think this passage sets a pattern for us when God lifts his axe to bring us to repentance. It shows us that after the lesson is learnt, we too will enjoy incredible blessing, just as we've been singing of in Psalm 119. Now that blessing isn't always going to look exactly the same it won't always be a complete restoration like what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. If God's acts involves you getting sick, there's no guarantee that you're going to get completely better. If God's axe involves losing a loved one, you're still going to face great loneliness. If God's acts involves you being made redundant, you may well still have many anxious moments as you open up your bank statement. But... Even if God's axe leaves you with scars, those scars will be accompanied by blessing. Well, what does this blessing look like? Well, I think that we see it in how Nebuchadnezzar's entire perspective on life was completely transformed. Where was he in verse 29? He was on the roof. What do you do on the roof? Well you look down, don't you? But what does Nebuchadnezzar do in verse 34? At the end of that time I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. That in itself is a blessing. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer living like we saw he did last week. He is no longer living like an animal. He is no longer only seeing what is in front of him. He's no longer completely obsessed by things that will eventually disappear. Forget about Nebuchadnezzar's newfound riches. That's a side blessing. The greatest blessing of all that this man experiences is that he begins to live in the way he's designed to live. not an animal. He is a human being created in the image of God. He is designed to be obsessed by eternity. And those glorious eternal realities, they begin to fill his mind. And Nebuchadnezzar's entire perspective on life is completely transformed he doesn't have to cling on to his legacy for dear life, because he knows that everything is in the hands of the Almighty God. He doesn't have to be like a a hamster on a wheel, always spinning, always trying to make a name for himself, because now he lives for the one whose name is above all names. Nebuchadnezzar knows that even if his health Or his reputation or his riches or his influence or his kingdom or his palace or anything disappears, he knows he has something that will never be taken away. He's a citizen of the everlasting kingdom. And of course that's a blessing that we will always experience when God uses his acts to call us to repentance. We will always know that blessing when we lift our eyes away from what's in front of us and we fix them on God instead. And I know that many of you listening can say that from experience. God has swung his axe. It has brought you indescribable pain, but it's also brought you unimaginable blessing. And now, even now, maybe it's years after the Acts, you still find incredible delight in those blessings. You have this unshakable knowledge that he is with you and he keeps you You have that remarkable relief of knowing that even your darkest of sins have been forgiven. You have the joy of hearing his, his voice whenever you read his word. And of going to his house and of praising his name. You have that magnificent confidence that Jesus Christ himself is preparing a place for you. For when you pass into glory. And you wouldn't have those blessings if it wasn't for God's acts. Maybe even now, even years after that hardship. You still thank God every single day because he has used his acts to take away some sin that was destroying you. Maybe it was your pride. Might have been pride that led to smugness. Might have been pride that led to self-loathing. Maybe God has taken away your stubbornness or your arrogance. Maybe he has even used his acts to take away your panic about what comes next. Maybe some of you are just like Nebuchadnezzar. God has used his axe to stop you from looking down and he's caused you to look up instead. What a blessing. I wonder, as we think of COVID-19, what sort of blessings might we thank God for in years to come? What sort of changes might he bring about in our lives, in our church's lives, and in the lives of our nation? The fourth thing we see about God's work, we see his blessing. And then the fifth and final thing that we want to see from this chapter, God's evangelist. Now, if you want the ultimate illustration of how God has comprehensively transformed this man, you don't need to look much further than verse one to verse three. Nebuchadnezzar proclaims God's majesty. But notice who he addresses this to. Verse three, the peoples, nations and men of every language. I wonder, those of you who have been here for the rest of the sermons on this this book of Daniel, I wonder, do you recognise that phrase? Where have we seen it before? Chapter 3. Before God used his axe, Nebuchadnezzar was using his royal power to bring glory to himself. He summoned all the peoples to bow down before this monstrosity of a statue that he had created. And now, what's Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's using that same power, that same influence, to bring glory not to himself, but to Almighty God he's been transformed. And verse 2 is particularly interesting, I think. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. It is my pleasure to tell you all about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Can you imagine Imagine looking Nebuchadnezzar in the eye and imagine asking him, well, Nebuchadnezzar, what exactly do you mean by these miraculous powers and wonders? What has God done for you? And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I know this is going to sound strange. I know this doesn't sound like a good thing, but here is what God has done. And imagine sitting open-mouthed as Nebuchadnezzar speaks about the trial he's been through and he speaks about the blessing that God has brought about through that trial. What an incredible testimony this man had. And Nebuchadnezzar, I think, lays down a challenge for each and every one of us. Some of you perhaps have experienced God's acts. It has struck you and it has been incredibly painful. But through that axe, God has called you. He has called you to a deeper faith. He has called you to a fuller repentance. He has called you to a more vibrant obedience. Maybe as you think of what God has done in your life, you can describe even the most difficult trials you've been through as wonders the Most High has performed for me." Maybe you can see how God has blessed you through those trials. He's blessed you with a richer hope. He's blessed you with a deeper faith. And the challenge of Nebuchadnezzar is to tell other people. Maybe before you experience God's acts, You were busy using your gifts and your energies and your resources to advance your own kingdom. This brother in the faith, he challenges you to use your resources to advance the kingdom of Christ. Here's the thing. Some of you are like this man in another way. Because you have experienced God's acts, because you have been through times of hardship, you have a story that is compelling. You have a story that resonates with the people around you because you can speak about pain and you can speak about how God has brought about blessing through your pain. And maybe as you think about everything that God has brought into your life, maybe even as you think about your present trials that you're going through right now, maybe you can see that God has provided you with a wonderful opportunity. You too can be God's evangelist. What a wonderful passage this has been. I don't know about you, I've really enjoyed looking at Daniel chapter 4 over the last three weeks. Uh, This persecutor became a brother in the faith. What What a wonderful story. But it's also our story isn't it? As we experience God's acts in our lives we should be excited. Not only does God use these painful blows in order to bring about incredible blessing, He also uses them so he can use us to spread the message of his glory.